It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. The Locked On NBA Fantasy Minute is presented by Price Picks. Price Picks is the most fun you can have playing daily fantasy basketball and winning up to 25 times your money. Go to pricepicks.com slash locked on NBA and use the code locked on NBA for a first deposit match up to $100. We are very much in the thick of the fantasy basketball playoffs. You might be starting it this week, you might be already in it, it might be a week away. And at this point of the year, with only five weeks left in the entire regular season, Playing the schedule is the most important thing. So this week, the Minnesota Timberwolves and the Los Angeles Lakers play two games only. So any fringe players you have from those teams, even guys, yes, like Kyle Anderson replacing Kyle Anthony Towns, that's not worth it with two games on. You need to be stacking extra games and you need to be looking at the teams with four games. You need to be looking at teams with games early in the week and then switching them out for teams with more games later in the week. Get more games in, play the schedule, be cutthroat with injuries and get players in to get yourself success for fantasy basketball. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire. You need Indeed. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. You are Locked On Raptors, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hey, how's it going? Welcome to episode number 287 of Locked On Raptors for Friday, March 2nd. I'm your host, Sean Woodley of LockedOnRaptors.com and RaptorsHQ.com. You can find me on Twitter, of course, at WoodleySean. Show's on Twitter as well at Locked On Raptors. You can find links to every single episode. Of course, make sure you're checking out the Locked On Podcast Network as well. Lots of great stuff on there for you. Daily Locked On NBA shows with all the different hosts from across the network uh, chipping in. Uh, you can check out the individual team-focused shows for both the NBA and NFL if you'd like. Uh, the NFL Combine is going on right now, so if you want to hear about some uh, prospects, I guess that's the place to go. Check out the, the, the podcast for all 32 NFL teams. Uh, and if you find a host that you like at either the NBA or Locked On NFL Network, make sure you find uh, the show on iTunes, leave a rating, leave a review, subscribe, all that good stuff. It's uh, very helpful to those hosts. It makes uh, those shows more popular. And you can do that with us. Find Locked On Raptors on iTunes, leave a rating, leave a review. It takes no time at all. Uh, it very uh, much helps to make us more popular, make us more visible. It's good for the algorithm, all that good stuff. Good for my ego as well. And I appreciate you doing it ahead of time. All right, on today's show, very exciting show. I'm joined by former Raptors GM, uh, also former Ra- GM of the Knicks as well, and also the Denver Nuggets, which, which people kind of forget. Uh, Glenn Grunwald. Uh, very happy that I could take about 45 minutes of Glenn's time to talk about the sort of the early days of the Raptors, uh, his time with the team. We talked about the Knicks as well, talked about some of the sort of disadvantages the Raptors went into their sort of expansion process with compared to past expansion teams and things like that. 
Uh, this was a really great chat. We went a whole bunch of different uh, places, and it was, uh, it was a great time. Of course, Glenn is now the athletic director at McMaster University in Hamilton, and I was able to sit down with him uh, in his office. And uh, again, it was, it was a really great time. Great to catch up with Glenn. And uh, he was pretty candid about some stuff, so I hope you enjoy this conversation. Uh, you can also listen to yesterday's podcast as well if you're into the mood for podcasts. Uh, I spent a lot of time editing a, a thing I did with Katie Heindel, uh, who is becoming a regular on the show because she's awesome. She uh, wrote a piece for the classical back in like 2015, a short story about uh, Chuck Hayes. It's fan fiction and we did a dramatic reading of it. I did the voice acting, she did the narration um, and I put some audio stuff in there. It's really great. <laughs> like honestly, it's one of the, the more fun times I've ever had doing a podcast. It was really cool to put together. So please check it out. A Chuck Wagon Belongs in Texas uh, with myself and Katie Heindel from yesterday. It was a great time and uh, I appreciate you listening to that one and let me know if you like it. We're probably going to do more of them because they're really fun to do. Even if no one listens, they're fun to do. So why not do them? Um, Alright, I'm going to stop talking now. We're going to get to the conversation now with Glenn Grunwald, uh, former Raptors GM. We uh, go about 45 minutes or so, and uh, I'm not going to come back on the other side, so this will be it for the week. Next week, we will, uh, I don't know, there's some games to talk about next week, I suppose. It's not the best week. I mean, the Houston Rockets on Friday, I suppose. That's an interesting one, but other than that, it should be a pretty light week for Raptors stress, I, I think, probably. Uh, if you're in the Toronto area on Thursday, March 8th, come out to Hoop Talks Trivia Night. I'm hosting it at the Pint, 277 Front Street West. It's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, if you have been to one of these before, you know it's a pretty good time. It's pretty easy going. I'll make fun of you pretty bad if you get questions wrong. Uh, and uh, it should be just an awesome time. We're going to watch, I think, this, the Celtics play the Wolves or something like that. We'll put the game on and we'll do trivia throughout the night. It's a, it's a good time. So please come on out. You can sign up. Uh, my pinned tweet has the link where you can sign up a team. Uh, it's a, you sign up a team of three, and if you're a free agent, if you don't have a team, you can sign up as a free agent as well, and we'll put you on a team. Uh, please come on out. It's a, it's a lot of fun, and I hope to see some faces out there, and it's always nice interacting with the podcast listeners, and I uh, hope to see you there at the Pint, 277 Front Street West on Thursday. Doors open at 7 o'clock. All right, now let's get to the chat with Glenn Grunwald, uh, and we will talk to you again next week with some more episodes of Locked on Raptors. Cheers. All right, joining me now on Locked on Raptors, a very special guest who I'm very thankful to have on, the former general manager of the Raptors, uh, New York Knicks, Denver Nuggets as well. Uh, it's Glenn Grunwald, now the athletic director of McMaster University. How's it going, Glenn? Uh, hi, Sean. Everything's well here at McMaster, so we're excited about uh, our playoffs as they approach. Here. Yeah, it's uh, it's been a pretty wild week or so for Mac basketball, the women's side at least. The men, unfortunately, lost their first round matchup, but uh, Wednesday against Ottawa U, that was... Uh, Certainly a game. <laughs> yeah, we pulled out the come from behind win. Linnea Harper hit a couple of free throws with seconds on. So now we've got uh, the number one ranked uh, Carlton Ravens in uh, for the OUA championship game tomorrow, Saturday at 1 o'clock. So we're, we're excited to see that. Yeah, if you're in the Hamilton, Burlington, anywhere west of Toronto area, come and check out the games. They're very fun. I do PA. Some people say that's all right. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you did a great job, Sean. Yeah, great job. Uh, yeah, so it's a, it's, a, uh, it's a pleasure to talk to you. Obviously, lots of questions for you because, I mean, you were you kind of oversaw the first positive era of Raptors basketball, and for a long time it was the only positive era of Raptors basketball. Um, I kind of want to go back to the early days, right? Because there was this whole stigma around the Raptors. Oh, they're from Canada. Like, it's such a difficult place to lure players. Was the Canada thing, like the quote-unquote Canada thing, was that like a big hindrance to you in the early days 
of your tenure with the Raptors in terms of trying to keep guys around. Obviously, there was the Marcus Canby thing, you know, whether he was going to resign. There was Damon Stoudemire. Obviously, he ended up being traded as well. And for Tracy McGrady leaves, like, was the Canada thing really like a huge hindrance to you as you were trying to do your job? Well, I think it was a bit of a, a hindrance. There were some issues that were real, you know, the need to go through customs on a regular basis when you're traveling with the team. Uh, not having the availability of ESPN, I guess, can be sort of a valid one. But, but you know, really, uh, uh, it, I, I felt that the, the Canada issue was more of an excuse because, obviously, you know, we entered the league with uh, uh, an old form of the uh, expansion agreement that was a bit more punitive to the expansion teams because, mm-hmm. you know, Orlando had done so well in terms of getting the number one draft pick two years in a row. So they, they made sure that we were not going to be competitive for a while. <laughs> uh, and uh, I think players in general didn't want to go to a non-competitive uh, situation where it would be difficult to win. And, and uh, you know, I think that, that was more of used as an excuse than as a, as a real reason, but you know, obviously, it is a different country, so uh, there, you know, people maybe a little more parochial than they need to be. Uh, <laughs> but I think a Tor- Toronto was always appreciated as a great city to visit, mm-hmm. and I think people that I think most of the players that did, did, did approach it with an open mind, you know, and felt that it was a great place to come and play and live. Uh, now, Toronto, like a lot of other teams in the NBA. Are, is a cold weather winter city, right? Yeah. So, so that's an advantage that certain teams have uh, that uh, other uh, teams have an advantage for. So, <laughs> so there's nothing we can do about that. But that doesn't prohibit uh, a team from being successful. The taxes were another thing that I think we were able to, with a lot of education of agents and and. Uh, players that, you know, I think we can you know, modify a contract appropriately to, to lessen the impact of, of, of Canadian taxes on an American resident. Fair enough. So, so we, we managed to sort through it, but it was, uh, you know, it's certainly an issue. And I know the NBA is talking about expanding to Mexico City now. And yeah. That's another language, a uh, much different culture, and uh, we'll see if that ever actually happens. Yeah. I mean, it makes more sense than, yeah. uh, let's put a team in London. And uh, But yeah, that's... Uh, so the the big one, I think maybe the like the early example of the whole you know the people not wanting to come to Canada thing was the Kenny Anderson deal uh, with Damon Stoudemire he's sent to Portland. Kenny Anderson doesn't want to come back, um, and you know that kind of is sort of a prelude almost to the Vince Carter trade after you're not with the team anymore. When you saw the Vince Carter trade and the return, and then Alonzo Mourning not, not coming back, did you feel like sympathy for Rob Babcock in that situation? Considering just like it was kind of a similar situation in terms of like a star that wanted out, uh, as the Damon Stoudemire thing with a guy coming back, the biggest name in the deal not coming back, or was it like, uh, oh, I could have done better than that? Well, I thought the whole Vince Carter thing was mishandled. So yeah, you know, they put themselves in a situation where they had to do a bad deal for. What was a great player? You know, he went on to lead the Nets to two finals after that, and uh, you know, completely mismanaged uh, the whole relationship. And then the trade obviously didn't work out very well. Um, so, no, and it's a tough job to be an NBA general manager. And uh, you know, they felt they had to make a trade. Uh, so, you know, it didn't <laughs> seem like a good trade in the first place. But certainly, with Alonzo Mourning. Uh, 
you know, wasn't going to play. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if they knew that going in or not, but uh, that made it even worse. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner, and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Was there, you know, before your time with the team ended, was there ever sort of a call to potentially look into training Vince Carter? Was it something that happened after you were there? Like, how did that sort of go? Because obviously the relationship wasn't perfect the entire time, you know, with the injuries and, you know, the, the we can maybe talk about him going to his you know, college graduation. But was there ever sort of an impetus from above? Like, yeah, maybe we should look at training this guy? Uh, you know, I think as the general manager of any team, you're obligated to consider all options at all times. Uh, and so you obviously, you know, maybe it's not uh, number one on your list. But, uh, you know, my, during my last season there, you know, Vince had made some mistakes. I don't think they were really serious mistakes or lack of maturity, perhaps, or mm-hmm. uh, perhaps perspective in terms of his role on the team and what, you know, his actions mean. Uh, so at the end there, you know, I, I had, uh, you know, Richard Petty milked the last bit of information out of me before he fired me, <laughs> uh, had made some uh, proposals uh, as terms of my annual strategic planning uh, to that might have included Vince in a trade. It okay. made some sense. Uh, but then I got fired before <laughs> <laughs> that happened. Uh, so... Uh, uh, but, but no, I, I, I wasn't certainly my first choice. And I think, you know, like, like the whole franchise itself, we were, you know, new, we were learning, uh, you know, we were maturing, we were figuring things out, uh, you know, so as, as an expansion franchise and a, and a new star player, uh, you know, Vince, Vince was, was growing just as the franchise was growing. Right. And. Know, disappointed I wasn't allowed to finish the job but uh, at the same time you know uh, you know Masai's obviously got it going great this year and we can see you know the, the potential being achieved from this franchise in this great market yeah um, so we can kind of work backwards then because I mentioned the Vince graduation thing and that's obviously well before the trade ever happens what was the <coughs> reaction internally when that happened when he went to North Carolina to graduate on the day of game seven because I know it was like the easy narrative for the media to be you know harping on that as like the reason they ended up losing which obviously is kind of missing the point I think a little bit because he still played reasonably well you know Allen Iverson didn't play very well in that game either right and you know if Vince makes that shot at the end we're probably never talking about it again Um, so I never thought it was that big a deal as like a fan but as the front office like how did the team feel about him going was there ever a discussion about it at all? Well, we had uh, you know a lot of meetings about it. I, I think from the team in the locker room, I don't think that they viewed it as a big deal, mm-hmm. uh, one way or the other. Uh, as you said, Vince played pretty pretty well, not great, but pretty well in the game. He did miss that last second shot that would have you know put it to bed for us. But uh, you no, know, we had extensive discussions with uh, ownership, Larry Tannenbaum, uh, Lenny Wilkins was the coach at the time, myself, Vince, and his mother, uh, and you know. Our opinion was that he shouldn't go, uh, but reasonable people can disagree on that. You know, Vince and uh, felt that you know, as a role model for for young men, uh, the importance of education was was significant, and to make a statement 
in such a high-profile situation that getting your education is a such an important thing to do. You have to respect that, mm -hmm. and that's certainly a you know a, a, a good reason to, to attend the graduation. Um, you know, but we didn't agree with it. But at the same time, you know, we supported uh, uh, making it as easy as possible on him. So Larry uh, took his plane, went with him to the graduation, and then flew him into the game. So it was you know minimal impact in terms of I think uh, the travel in preparation for the game. It, you know, it, it happened, you know, we, we had to win the game uh, six, I think, on the Friday night. I was at that game. Yeah. I was, yeah, uh, yeah, was like a, a seven-year-old kid. Yeah, yeah, that was wild. <laughs> and we had, so, so it was sort of a moot point until we won that game. And, you know, we, it was on the horizon as, as an issue to deal with. And uh, uh, so after that game, you know, we've had some extensive discussions about it. And, you know, it turned out as it did and you know would Vince do it differently had to do it over I don't know that's a good question to ask him mm -hmm. but uh, again you know his reason for doing it uh, being a role model for the community uh, again reasonable people can disagree on that kind of thing do you think it changed the outcome of the game at all oh it's hard to say you yeah. know uh, you know you know butterflies wing yeah Larry Tannenbaum private jet wing yeah <laughs> but uh you know, it, it, it is it is what it is now, and, uh, you know, we live with the decisions we make and, yeah. and the outcomes that uh, occur. Is the Raptors franchise still in Toronto if Vince isn't there? Because obviously we saw it happen with it, with Vancouver, where they couldn't really gain traction with a star outside of, like, Sharif Abdurrahim. And then after that, you know, the, the, it's kind of on the wall for them. Without Vince, are the Raptors kind of going down the same road? I don't think so. I mean, I think there were, when I was first a GM, we had a terrible year. You know, we were 16 and 66 my first year, I think it was. And, mm -hmm. and there was talk about, you know, attendance dropping and fans not interested and, you know, it was never going to work. But uh, I don't believe that. I think it was always going to be successful. I think a couple of key distinctions between, you know, the Raptors and the, and the Vancouver Grizzlies uh, is that, you know, this is sort of corporate Canada's headquarters yeah. in, in Canada. So, you know, so much of of uh, the revenue of a NBA team is dependent upon, you know, corporate support, whether it's season tickets and corporate entertainment or sponsorships and advertising, all those sorts of things. So, so Toronto is, you know, nothing against Vancouver, but it's a much stronger market in, the, in that regard. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think the more significant issue that had to be dealt with was the construction of a new stadium. So the uh, the expansion agreement with uh, the NBA and the Toronto Raptors and the Vancouver Grizzlies both specified that we had to build a new arena mm -hmm. to play basketball in. And as you know, we played in Skydome and Maple Leaf Gardens. How weird was that? <laughs> it was a little different. <laughs> but but the the fact is that uh, you know the Maple Leafs were the more established and stronger franchise, and, and they were not cooperative with ownership at the time. Uh, and there was you know a desire from the Maple Leafs to build a new arena, and uh, I think you know the Raptors broke ground first. Uh, you know it, 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 the the issue on how to deal with the new arena situation caused the split between John Bito and Alan Slate, mm -hmm. and. Uh, uh, you know, it was a difficult decision, business decision to make. Uh, so, you know, the, the shotgun happened. Uh, John Bitov and his family were bought out by Alan Slate. 
and and Alan proceeded and broke ground at the Air Canada Center and and significant move a, a lot of risk associated with that mm -hmm. but oh, what basically happened then it forced the Maple Leafs hand and, and they wound up you know acquiring the Raptors emerging with the Raptors and so that only one arena was built in Toronto one new arena was built in Toronto because that really I think would have affected the financial sustainability of the Raptors had they been competing with the Leafs. Uh, in terms of the ancillary events, the mm -hmm. concerts, the shows, uh, all those other sorts of things, the naming rights, the you know in arena advertising, all those sorts of things. But by by having the two teams under one roof in a great new arena like Air Canada Center, you know it allows those synergies really to be maximized and uh, the revenue to be maximized as well. So it really, I think that was the key thing that that established the, the Raptors as being uh, solid financially. Fair enough. Um, so the summer in 2000 when T-Mac leaves, what is your processes that's happening? Because obviously you see you have this like burgeoning superstar on your team. Maybe he's unhappy being behind Vince Carter, who knows? Um, what is your pitch to T-Mac for him to stay? And like, how does that offseason transpire? Well, you know, uh, at the time, the collective bargaining agreement, uh, you know, we talked to the league about uh, not doing this. But the collective bargaining provided for a, a rookie contract that was only three years with no right of first, no right to match. Yeah, so yeah. A, a player after his rookie contract uh, became an unrestricted free agent, um, and you know, T Mac was an immature player in person at the time. I think and uh, didn't quite understand, you know, what the opportunities were there. He wanted to have his own team and all those kinds of things. So after his second year. You know, we did offer him a maximum contract, which, you know, was, to, in my opinion, a bit of a risk mm -hmm. uh, uh, because, you know, he hadn't really shown his, he had shown his potential perhaps, but mm -hmm. he hadn't shown that he was ever really going to reach that. And he turned it down. And when I knew, when he did that, I knew we were going to be in, in rough. Um, so the, the problem then became, well, he, he wouldn't... Uh, commit to another team either. He wouldn't say where he wanted to go and where he would resign. Right. And so it was difficult to find another team that'd be interested in, in uh, you know, giving up a lot for an immensely talented, although unproven player, uh, when they weren't sure they could resign him. So, the, so you know, it was going to be a, t a tough situation. So, so we explored some trades during the season and, and uh, you know, we made our best pitch about, you know, the possibility of playing together with Vince and the progress we were making as a franchise and uh, and what it would mean for him to stay and play and his role and his significance and all those mm -hmm. all those things. But, you know, he he wanted to, you know, return to warm weather. He wanted <laughs> to go back home to Orlando. Uh, you know, it wasn't even... Uh, you know, he was definitely the third option for for Orlando. Right. right. So that was they, the Tim they, Duncan summer, yeah, right? Yeah. Yeah. They, the Tim Duncan was a first choice, and then Grant Hill, and and you know, it wasn't even that they were you know making such a huge run for him. Obviously, they were recruiting him, but it was pretty clear that if they had signed Tim Duncan and Grant Hill, they weren't going to be able to sign him. Mm -hmm. Chicago was in the picture too, as well, uh, another another option for him. So. You know, it was just, I don't think there's anything we could have done. He wanted to move on. He wanted to get his own team. And, uh, 
the rules were against us, and uh, it was unfortunate. It would, you know, I think it did set the franchise back tremendously. The league, league learned from that, from our <laughs> pain and suffering. Not only did they change the rules on restricted free agency after rookie contracts, but they also made the new expansion agreements a little more favorable to. Uh, the expansion teams. So the Raptors were the guinea pig yeah, for all so, these yeah, rules. We, we suffered through some learning of the NBA. <laughs> the NBA playoffs are right around the corner, and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA. Available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Um, I find that three-year rookie contracting so fascinating now. Like to think of what that would look like in today's NBA, where it's a league of player empowerment. And like I, as a general NBA fan, in addition to a Raptors fan, like I, I like it. I, I like players being able to kind of dictate where they want to go. And it is kind of crazy to me that if a guy is in a place he doesn't want to be, that he might be there for like eight years. Um, maybe three years is a little too short and not enough time to really get a, a, a gauge on a guy. But like, it, what do you think that three-year thing would look like in today's NBA? Because I can't even imagine at this point, considering how we're so just like stuck in the ways now of what we. <laughs> well, I don't think like teams that. would be tanking as much as they uh, currently are. <laughs> I think the the process would probably have not been as appealing um, because you know. Obviously, now teams are really valuing first-round draft picks and second-round draft picks, for that matter, just because of the right to retain them for mm-hmm. over, the, over the course of their career and as they develop and and at a reasonable price. So, yeah, no, I think it would be a different NBA, and you would probably see less tanking, you'd see less value in draft choices, and certainly uh, more free agency. So, yeah, it's a different, different was the, scenario. Was there ever a concerted effort to tank when you were with the Raptors? No, we were always bad to start. So. <laughs> uh, uh, no, no, I think, uh, no, in New York, I think uh, I would have suggested, and again, maybe that's why I got fired, that, you know, we had a good run with Carmelo. We, you know, won 54 games, won the first round of the playoffs, probably should have beaten Indiana, mm-hmm. had some injuries and some issues there. Uh, I think that run with uh, Carmelo Anthony, uh, you know, you know, our, our mission, our goal as established by the owner was to win an NBA championship as soon as possible. And so that's what we did. All our decisions were based upon that. You know, whether they were the right decisions or not, we were just trying to do the best we can with that guidance and direction. Uh, so I think, you know, when when they re-signed Carmelo Anthony, you know, I'd set it up so that there'd be a tre- tremendous amount of, uh, of value in terms of the salary cap room they had. I think we could have traded Carmelo for some real value then and started over on a rebuilding process. I think it was a tremendous mistake by the Knicks to to go ahead and resign Carmelo. And you see the sort of the shape they're in. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I have Knicks questions, but we'll get to that. Okay, then. good. Yeah. All right. um, but no, so that would be the only time I would have suggested the you know it's appropriate to do at certain times. Yeah. But, but uh, yeah, we yeah, we didn't have any issues with tanking. Right, right. We're just trying to become competitive and establish uh, Toronto as a place where players realize that they could win. Yeah, for sure. And I guess that you can't really afford to go out of your way to lose at that point, especially, say, you know, oh, we one were, season happens, right? It it's, was set up for us already. You know, <laughs> we didn't have to do anything. What goes into the draft day trade for Vince? Uh, going back even further before I go forward, uh, Anton Jameson for Vince Carter. What is, like, 
that, that's it seems like a weird trade from Golden State's perspective. Like what what goes in? Like how does that transpire on draft day? Well, Vince was always our guy, even though uh, which card he wanted to draft uh, tractor trailer. Okay, uh, but I think the the rest of the staff pretty much wanted to go with Vince and saw his potential, and, and he was gonna. We were pretty confident he was gonna be there when we were drafting as at five. Was that right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, and then uh, Golden State was six, right? Right. So for, and, I think it was four, five, four, or five. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. we were drafting at four, and. Uh, uh, so it, it wasn't our idea. It was Golden State's idea, and, and there were rumors out there because Don Nelson uh, was uh, in the draft. He's always he's a, he's well known for lying about that, whatever <laughs> he's, he's talking about, trading trades or drafts. So he was throwing a lot of uh, junk up against the wall, and uh, and he had gotten Golden State concerned that we were going to draft. Uh, Antoine Jameson. Golden State always wanted to get Antoine Jameson. That was their number one choice. Mm -hmm. And so they were concerned that we were good, not necessarily that we wanted Antoine Jameson, but we were going to draft Antoine Jameson for somebody else. Right. And then trade flip flop with somebody that drafted Vince Carter later. And I think, you know, Don Nelson created that impression for some reason. And, and uh, so they called us up and said, hey, you know, uh, we don't want to give you a lot. We don't think you want uh, Antoine Jameson, uh, but you know we just want to guarantee that we're going to get uh, uh, our guy, and, and you can get your guy and Vince. And uh, so that's basically what happened. So, so we agreed to dra draft uh, uh, Antoine Jameson first. It you know saved us a little bit of money. Right back then, you know. Money was pretty tight for the Raptors, <laughs> so we saved a few hundred thousand dollars in terms of the salary, and they gave us a little bit of money right. uh, to to do that. And and it was just for Golden State it created some certainty for them that they were going to get the player they wanted. But ultimately, you guys that makes sense. You guys are going to take Vince anyway. We we're going to take Vince. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, ah, it's, uh, those weird NBA trades are fun. I was uh, doing a little digging on the pick that became Vince. Uh, how it was traded for Chris Webber two times before it was ever used. There's like three entries for it on Basketball Reference before <laughs> that, that right? draft. Yeah. yeah, it's bizarre. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the fact that it got traded once to be more. like a draft tree, right? To see where. Yeah, it yeah, it's uh, right, yeah, yeah. It was like a Penny Hardaway Chris Webber trade that it originally was in, and it was originally cool. the Warriors pick, and it ended up coming back to the Warriors. Then obviously <laughs> they traded to you guys. Wild. Tom Gugliotta was in there somewhere. Um, but yeah, I, I'm hosting a, a trivia tournament on the podcast, so well, that I'm doing would be a good one. That yeah, would be I'm doing some strange trivia. digging on basketball reference of late. Cool. Um, <laughs> so you, I read a Q and A with you uh, yesterday from about 2014 with Raptors HQ, uh, friend of the program, John Chick did it with you. Uh, you mentioned in there that when you hired Kevin O'Neill, you interviewed three other people: Sam Mitchell, Mike Woodson. And Dwayne Casey. Yeah. Uh, that's kind of crazy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I made the worst possible decision. <laughs> Another reason I got fired. Probably deservedly so for that one. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, it's interesting that, uh, that both Dwayne and Sam became head coaches with Toronto. And, mm -hmm. and I worked together with Mike Woodson in New York as, a, as our head coach. Right. So, yeah. And uh, all, all three of those guys would have been much better. Yeah, what what happened with Kevin O'Neill? I remember as a fan, that season was not my favorite because they the offense was uh, it seemed to be put to the back burner a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, the NBA league office called me at the beginning of the year. What is going on with you guys? Why can't you score points? I said, Well, yeah, yeah, it wasn't a good thing. What was but the anyways, what was the thought process? The thought process was in part that. Uh, 
it was an error on my part. You know, there, you know, there are some obvious character issues that uh, uh, were known, and I, you know, had the hubris, I guess, to think that I could deal with them, um, and I couldn't. Right. And uh, you know, I've learned that lesson. That's my advice to young people now as they go up their career in terms of, you know, making sure you hire for attitude and character, and then training for skills and, and aptitude and stuff like that so to make sure that that's such a key thing so I learned that lesson I think you know the, another thing was uh, you know it's always just sort of going too far the other direction we were going from Lenny Wilkins who who was more of a uh, easygoing right. uh, coach and we felt we needed something stronger and the overreact by going too far in the other direction was part of it and you know part of it was desperation too like you know we need to really shake this up and do right. something something different so it was a you know a bad decision and you know i live with it and fair enough and those are the consequences do you remember Dwayne's interview do you remember how that went like your impressions of yeah i've known Dwayne for a long time uh we had spent a lot of time together uh, actually in athens of all places uh um when the world championships were there in 1998 was it okay or so um and so i got to know him knew, knew him time a very high High, again, high character, high quality person, great basketball man, dedicated and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, he was he was impressive. He was probably the second choice, should have been the first choice, but uh, you know that's the way things go. And then then Woody was uh, uh, new on his sort of coaching thing, so he wasn't quite. I think Woody's a great coach. He would make a great head coach. He was a great head coach for us in, in uh, New York. But he wasn't quite ready yet. And right. I've known Woody since we were teenagers, right? So. You know, that was a tough one for me not to hire him, uh, but I think it helped him grow and helped him improve, not only as a coach, but as a person that interviews for a head coaching position. I right. think that's a skill in and of itself. You know, Kevin O'Neill is pretty good at that. <laughs> <laughs> and then Sam, Sam was just right out of done playing uh, playing uh, uh basketball as a player right and had just been a one or two years as an assistant coach and, and again very impressive uh uh but i don't think was quite ready to be a, a head coach what do you think of the way the raptors have gone about grooming jerry stackhouse probably for another team at this point but yeah. it seems like a different sort of path that maybe ex-players haven't really taken but he's done two years now in the d-league they're for the g-league now and they, they seem to be pretty successful and you know, maybe like Jason Kidd, for example, a guy who went immediately into coaching, yeah. just kind of fizzled out. Now he's he's, he's been let go from two teams now. Yeah. Um, but what do you make of the sort of strategy that they've used for Jerry Stackhouse? Is that well, something I think that, it's great. You know, I think, you know, obviously Jerry's done a great job with, with the 905 and had great success and, and gets that tremendous experience about, you know, just the daily grind of being a coach and, mm -hmm. and, and, and showing the dedication and interest in doing it at you know, that level where it's a little you know, not as luxurious or uh, you don't have the same amount of resources. And I think the Raptors have, have really done a great job in terms of making the most of their D-League, G-League uh, franchise and developing not only players but coaches and staff. And, right. uh, and so I, I think it's great. It wasn't available really back back when I was around, but you know, I think we'll soon have 30 G League teams for each NBA team, one for each NBA team. And uh, yeah, it's great. And uh, and yeah, that, that whole experience, again, to understand what it's like to lead a team and to coach and to prepare and to deal with all the issues. You know, it's, it's funny, uh, when I was with the Raptors, Ken Olenek, who's the father of Kelly Olenek, who right. now plays for the Miami Heat, and, uh, 
was uh, the head coach of the University of Toronto mm-hmm. uh, men's basketball team, and and he took a sabbatical for a year and spent the year uh, as a sort of a visiting coach or assistant coach with our team when Lenny was the, the Lenny Wilkins was the head coach, and at the end of it, I was you know quizzing him a little bit about what he learned and all that kind of stuff, and he said, you know. It's basically the same. It's about people, right? Mm-hmm. And it's about getting people to, you know, overcome challenges and come together as a team. And but it's the same. They have the same feelings. They have the same issues. They have the same family. And so, and I think that to me that was really enlightening. The same things that he's experiencing as a Jerry Stackhouse that is as a as a head coach in the G League. He'll 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 have a lot of those same issues. Uh, when he becomes a head coach in the NBA, that's always been my argument for like the against the when people are like, oh, fire Dwayne Casey. Like people don't, I think, you know, they look at maybe the X's and O's and the adjustments or whatever and feel like he maybe leaves something on the table. But I don't think you can say that he's not great at managing people. And I mean, he's turned Kyle Lowry into a an all star and things like that. So I think that's a very good point. Um, is there a player that was with the Raptors during your time with them that really could have used a G League to uh, like oh, maybe yeah. that didn't oh, end, no. maybe that didn't end up with the team because they didn't develop along the right curve? Absolutely, you know, you, you see these young players or even some players coming back from injury or making adjustments. Uh, yeah, definitely, and, and you know, it, it's tough. To, you know, I think it's become more ex- accepted by players to go to the G League, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, because before it was there was such a you know perception that you're you know being demoted yeah but but now I think teams some teams you know like like the Spurs and Houston have really shown that it can really be a benefit to a player as he develops and assuming you you resource it appropriately with the right staff and and present it in the right way you know it is something so yeah I, I you know we should have done it more in New York we should have if we had it in Toronto we would have done it more in Toronto. Um, I think it's a, it's a great resource and, and great for basketball. I think you know we often talk about the issues with the NCAA and the one and done rule. You know I think you know that's going to grow to be a real alternative to to really NBA caliber high school players uh, instead of going to school where you know you're sort of making a mockery of, of what the NCAA is supposed to be doing. Mm-hmm. I think it's a real option to go to the uh, G League and uh, maybe another minor league or obviously foreign teams too, uh, to, to develop and then you can always come back to school, not unlike what happens in junior hockey yeah. uh, here in Canada. So I think it's going to result in, in probably uh, a, a better alternative and, and perhaps a little better situation for the NCAA ultimately that, that we have this other alternative as it grows and develops. Right. Charles Oakley. You traded for him with the Raptors. This is a very, there was no transition to make there. I just had to dive into it. <laughs> you, you trade for him. Uh, obviously, he's kind of around the Knicks as well. You must have a Charles Oakley story. Like, what is your best Charles Oakley story that maybe people uh, haven't heard? <laughs> I don't know. No, it was, uh, you know, when we first traded for him, like, uh, you know, he didn't want to come. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, obviously, uh, same same situation. He was, you know, established with a, you know, a very, perennial playoff team with the New York Knicks in New York City uh, was a, you know a veteran obviously had had been in the playoffs every year of his career and we were a team that hadn't made the playoffs yet and young and developing and uh, so you know we we traded for him and uh, got on a call with him and he's a little grumpy and he's 
sometimes grumpy. As Oak uh, does, yeah. <laughs> uh, but we uh, range from the come up to Toronto, fly up to Toronto, and uh, go through his physical and all the things you need to do and introduce him and try and get him excited about playing for us. So Butch, and, Butch Carter and I were waiting for him at Pearson Airport, and his flight came in, and Oak didn't show up. So, <laughs> <laughs> so Butch and I got on the plane and went. To, he was in Atlanta at the time, and found him in the hotel weight room or fitness center uh, there in Atlanta and started talking to him and and uh, had a good good meeting with him and threw him in the yeah. bag and uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. he ultimately came up but uh, you know we I think we had to show him a little respect and love and uh, uh, how much we appreciated him you know what he would mean to our team and he was very valuable to our team you know uh, so you know it was uh, you know, he's he's uh, he's his own man, Charles Oakley. I have a lot of respect uh, for him. Um, I, he did a lot for the Raptors franchise and for the players on the team and the community. Um, you know, like anyone, he's not perfect, but uh, um, you know, I think it was a, a key factor in us developing and, and becoming more than just a sort of a factory for young talent to to have other teams sign. What was your response to the Dolan thing last year with him? Uh, very sad. I felt bad. I don't think Oakley deserved that. Yeah. Uh, I guess there's a lawsuit pending, so we'll have to see what happens with that. Uh, again, I think, you know, uh, I don't think, you know, I think you just got to deal with him. Like, he, he might not like what he says all the time, but mm -hmm. I think if you show respect to him and talk to him about it and, and, you know, give him an audience and listen, really listen to him and, and understand what he's saying, you know, I think he's great. Uh, so I don't think you know that happened with the Knicks, and you know, it was very sad and, and disappointing that he was treated in such a fashion. Fair enough. I have one very specific Raptors question, then we can get a couple of Knicks things, and I'll let you go. Um, so there's this player who's become kind of a cult hero among the podcast and among podcast uh, listeners, mostly because of me, because I okay. talk about him all the time. Uh, Lamarck Baker. Do you remember Lamarck Baker? He's a guy who played two NBA minutes in the 1999-2000 season, or might have been 98-99. Two minutes. He was for the Raptors? For, yeah, for the Raptors. He was 0 for 1 in his career. His first NBA game, his only NBA game, came when he was 29 years old. He was like an Ohio State star, played in a bunch of random leagues. I need he to a know. Point guard? I think he was a point guard. <laughs> I think he goes by Mark Baker now. I think he's the oh, yeah, Mark Baker. Yeah, yeah I think he's, yeah. he's uh, like a high school athletic director now. What? Okay, yeah. I the guy perplexes me because he's uh, I think he holds he's one of three uh, three Raptors players ever to play for the team and never score. And his only NBA game took place for the Raptors. He played 2 minutes and never played in the NBA again. I need to know the story of acquiring Mark Baker, LaMarc Baker. Well, I, I tell you what, I'm drawing <laughs> a bit of a blank. I, I vaguely remember you know, like uh, you know, it's funny that uh, you see so, so many players come through and uh yeah. And I don't have the best memory. My wife will tell you that. <laughs> uh, but but I think he was a player that came in as sort of a, a free agent tryout and, and was invited to training camp. And we had some injuries uh, at the point guard position and we needed somebody. And, and he was a pretty good player. And uh, so he made the team for a while until I think he got cut because we had a... Uh, you know, another op opportunity right, available. Right. But, you know, he, yeah, there's, I mean, that's the thing that I don't think people realize, particularly young players, the, the, the number of players out there that are quality basketball players are, is so high. It's, 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 it's uh, you know, 
he was close to being an NBA player, Mark Baker, and a good person. And and we see so many of those people, and it's so tough to make the NBA. You got to be, you know, be in the right place at the right time when the opportunity is there for you. For most players, obviously, some extremely talented people are mm -hmm. going to find their way to the league, anyways. But there's so many people that are on the fringe. Uh, you know, I we used to have free agent camps in the summer just to see what was out there and, and, and really you know, like the quality of the player is so good but you know the opportunities are so slim there's only you know you may have guaranteed contracts and only have three or four or two openings on your roster so mm -hmm. you know it's not that you can't make a, have a good life and make a good living playing elsewhere in other leagues but uh, to make the NBA as a as not a top level talent it's it's you know, it takes some some good fortune and, and a lot of perseverance and heart to, to keep at it and put yourself in a position to make it. You know? I, I had to ask just because. So it's a Lamarck Baker. I knew Mark Baker. Yeah, okay. that threw me off there. Yeah, uh, yeah. That, that's it's a very incredible NBA career that uh, I've tried to reach out to him. I've tried to reach out to Ohio State. Hasn't worked. If you ever come cross paths with Mark okay, Baker again, let me know. Uh, give him my email or something. Uh, let's fast forward to the Knicks time. Um, obviously, you mentioned the, the nice run you guys had with Melo there. Uh, what was it, 2011-12? Um, that's the right year, right? 2012-13, yeah, something like that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, 50 games, you guys kind of, you know, you kind of expand on maybe the, you know, sort of the seeds that the seven seconds or less Suns planted in the mid-2000s. You guys shot a ton of threes. J.R. Smith, all these guys, like, it was a really fun team to watch. Um, the summer after that, I have to ask you about the Landry Field, Steve Nash thing, because this was, I, I'm not sure if it's ever been actually reported, but the, the, the saying goes is that the Raptors signed Landry Fields to an offer sheet in order to tie up the Knicks cap space so Nick, Steve Nash wouldn't sign with the Knicks and maybe sign with the Raptors. What is your, like, what's your, from your perspective, how does that all play out? Were you like, why are they offering Landry Fields this much money? Uh, like, what was that summer like for you yeah. as, like, sort of the receiver of what the Raptors were apparently trying to do to try to get Steve Nash? Yeah, yeah. So uh, <laughs> we were both, us and the, the Raptors were sort of, sort of stays, chasing Steve. Uh, and and that was my understanding, although I really should talk to, to Brian Colangelo about, you know, why they made that offer to Landry, who was a good player, uh, mm -hmm. you know, uh, but he got hurt with the Raptors. I think that's the thing that's unfortunate for Landry that, yeah. uh, you know, he wasn't able to really play, but he's a, you know, he's a, you know, pretty good NBA player and in the right role would, would, you know, would be effective. And, uh, uh, so that was my understanding that, that they were trying to enforce us to re-sign Landry, force the Knicks to re-sign Landry and, and did that for that reason. So. Fair enough. Yeah. So, uh, but again, I'm, I'm, you know, I wasn't in, yeah. in the Raptors' uh, machinations in terms of why. Yeah, it's just uh, it's a. I'm not, again, I don't even know if it's actually been fully reported out. It's just kind of the yeah. the rumblings go around, and it's uh, it's one of the more interesting, yeah, sort of off season machinations for Raptors. You no, know, no, obviously we about. had uh, uh, Mike D'Antoni at the time who had coached him with the Phoenix Suns, yeah. and, and was a big fan, and, and there was some appeal to that in terms of. You know, adding him to the mix because uh, at the time too we had Jeremy Lin, right? So, mm -hmm. you know, it was going to be sort of a mentoring relationship and uh, uh, help them, you know, grow together and, and uh, do it that way. It turned out we got wound up with Jason Kidd, yeah, who had a great year. I mean, uh, uh, 
and, and but we didn't get Jeremy Lin either back. So, <laughs> you know, it's, it's funny how the roads uh, turn and twist. And, uh, um, you know, I, I went, was just at a, a leadership seminar where, you know, you know, everyone will say they had the great strategic plan, but really it's, it's building the bridge as you walk on it, right? Mm-hmm. So you, you have to sort of know where you're trying to go, what you're trying to get to. And then you got to figure out the way you get there and be open and flexible in terms of opportunities or detours or you know roadblocks that come in your way. Fair enough. Uh, one more next thing, the Andrea Bargnani trade in 2013. Yeah, is that something you look back on and regret? Is it you know was it something that was coming down from up top where they were like, all right, get this guy? Like, how did that all play out? <laughs> yeah, I would say that that was not uh, a good trade. Obviously, <laughs> uh, I wasn't necessarily in favor of it, but. Uh, you know, let's say, let's say we were influenced by uh, his agency and, and ownership to, to do that trade. Right. So, uh, you know, that's the nature of it sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> hey, Yaka Pirtle's doing great for the Raptors now. It's yeah, fun. Yeah. Right? yeah. Was that part of that deal? Yeah, yeah he ended up being the, the first round pick. That was, yeah, no, he's uh, a yeah. good player. Yeah, that's, mm-hmm. a, that's a good trade. So, But, you know, it was, uh, yeah, it was a mistake. Fair enough. Um, the... It has to be, obviously, I mean, you were in the early days of the Raptors before maybe they entirely caught on. I guess 2000, 2001, maybe the electricity really starts to build. But at MSG, that has to be entirely different, right? And, and covering the or being, you know, the not covering the Knicks, the, being the GM of the Knicks, it has to come with just so many more different things and just factors that are coming at you as opposed to being the GM of this, like, tiny outpost up north. How did it differ? Was it like a more enjoyable experience? Was it more stressful? Like what? What? Because I, I know I read the Q and A that you did. Uh, just to reference back to that. You said you were kind of you, know, you didn't really have a relationship with the media at all when you were in New York, just because yeah. of the way that their policies were. But it did was, that matter? Yeah. Was it still like a lot to deal with? No, it was it was fine. Like I had a good staff. Uh, we had a pretty good team. I had a great relationship with the coaches. Uh, you know, we had a. a a media policy that I followed, you know, like the, right. the only time I was to talk to the media was when it was approved by the uh, uh, media gurus there and uh, only when we had something to really announce like a trade or a signing or whatever it might be, and maybe once or twice sort of a summary of what, what's going on. So so I abided by that uh, policy, which, you know, you know, whether it's the right thing to do or not, probably not. But it was it made my my life as a general manager a lot easier mm-hmm. uh, in terms of not having to worry about that. And I think the media understood that that was a directive from above. So it was, uh, you know, it was fine with me. I mean, it, it was uh, you know, the way it was there. Right, right. <laughs> so now you're McMaster. And, like, obviously this is not, like, a low-stakes job. <laughs> McMaster is one of the best athletic schools and. In Canada, uh, the volleyball team is uh, extremely good, hosting the championships coming up soon. The women's basketball team's in the Gratelli Cup final, so there's obviously stresses that come with your job. But how much of like a step back and sort of a more easygoing experience is it than being an NBA GM? Do you miss the NBA grind at all? Yes and no. Yeah. I mean, I think the NBA is fun. It's exciting. It's uh, you know, it's uh, you, you know, you're really trying to be the best, and you're focused on one thing. I think the biggest challenge that I faced here at the university was is that we are uh, what is called, I think, officially a quasi ancillary program. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I'm part of a much bigger organization that had, and we're not the main focus of what we're trying to do. Education, obviously, and research yeah. here at McMaster are our main 
main goals. But obviously, you know, the development of young people and the great experiences we provide in the community building that our department uh, provides uh, for for the students and for the surrounding Hamilton, Burlington areas is sort of what we do. But but at the same time, it's different than an NBA team where you know you are focused on this team and you're trying to make it as good as you can and, and all the resources uh, are being devoted to that. Well, it's not the same focus here. Mm -hmm. Like we're, we are, as they say, a quasi-ancillary operation and we try and provide the best student-athlete experience we can. We're not only concerned about winning, you know, as an NBA team, you're not only concerned about winning either, mm -hmm. but the balance is much more on overall development and making sure that uh, that we help these young people grow and have a great experience, but also become you know, our future leaders and, and great contributors to society and giving back to the community too as well. That's part of the NBA too, but the balance is a little bit different, let's say. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, if, if we don't win a national championship or have a winning team, you know, people are not really going to be fired. At a certain point in the NBA, if you're not winning and you're not doing well right. on the court, you're going to be fired. Right. And uh, I think, you know, those are sort of significant things. Now, if you do, you know, if you, for a long time here, if you're not doing well, you're not providing a great experience. Like, it's it's hard to say you're providing a great experience to a student athlete mm -hmm. if you're not at least competitive. Right, right. Right? So we have to be at least competitive. And, and we say we're trying to be excellent, but it's excellent within the resources that we have. And, right. And I think we do a great job of that here. We have great coaches. We have young people that do great things. They sometimes they make mistakes, and uh, we help them straighten out those mistakes or learn from those mistakes. So it's it's a great experience here, but it's a different job yeah. in, in terms of again the balance of winning and, and overall development and contributing to the community. At the very least, you must sleep better. <laughs> <laughs> I slept pretty well. Yeah. You know, maybe trade deadline, you get a little stressed about some, yeah, yeah. some things when you have to make decisions, but but if you do the work and you uh, you know, trust the people, your scouts and the people around you uh, in the NBA and you have support of the ownership, you know, you, and, and you have a clear plan of where you're trying to go and a good, pretty good idea of how you're going to get there. Uh, I think it's, it's, you know, it's in a way it's a lot simpler job than the mm -hmm. job here. Fair enough. Well, Glenn, uh, I've taken entirely too much of your time and I really appreciate you chatting with me. Uh, is there anything that I missed on that I blanked or is there no yeah. I think uh, all Raptor fans should be excited about this year I don't yeah. know what your sense is from your from your listeners but boy it's a great great job that Masai and Dwayne Casey and the, and the whole team has done and and I'm looking forward to the playoffs and and hopefully we'll see the Raptors in the finals yeah they're uh, they're good and fun at the very yeah. least and yeah. there's something to be said for that and yeah. uh, uh, thank you so much Glenn hopefully we can do this again down the road sometime and uh, have a good one hey Prime members you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.